unstoppable kick-ass confidence. Are you ready? Welcome to the Raw and Unscripted Show with Christopher Roush, where we help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. Now please welcome our host, Christopher Roush. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Raw and Unscripted with yours truly, Christopher Roush, the place where I help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. And on today's show, I'm excited, super, super excited. Um, if you guys know, before I had a radio show where I interviewed somebody every single week for about two and a half years, so my interviewing skills are a little raw, but today we're going to have our first guest here on the Raw and Unscripted podcast, and it is none other than my personal friend, my brother, my mentor, and collaborator, Mr. Shane Schultz, the owner, founder, CEO, and producer of The Raw and Unscripted Show. But more importantly, he owns and is the founder of Speaking to the Heart Podcast Network. And pleased to have you on the show today, Mr. Shane Schultz, and uh, excited for what we're going to be talking about today. Please do me a favor and let's welcome Shane to The Raw and Unscripted Podcast Show. Shane, welcome to our show. How are you doing, buddy? You know what, my friend, I couldn't be any better. It's great to be here on your show and, and to be the first interviewee is, is really cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. Just to give you guys a little bit of background out there in podcast land, um, I've kind of talked about the story a little bit with Shane and how the podcast came to be, but really just to encapsulate the story, I was a guest on Travis Barton's um, uh, podcast and uh, Travis and I had a, a little bit of a history and when I was on his show, of course, Shane was producing his show and we got to talking, the three of us, and there seemed to be just some energy and some collaboration there between Shane and I. And over the course of the last year plus, uh, we had been talking back and forth and he wanted me to come on the network. But as you guys know, if you've been listening to the show for a while, my perfectionism, my installing, everything else delayed that opportunity. But Shane was really incredible in his tenacity and his belief in me being a part of the network, the chronic uh, pain and the illness network and bringing my brand of motivation and inspiration to everybody. Um, and that's how this kind of got started. But he pursued me and I'm so grateful to be here and doing this show. So I think none other best to have that guest is Mr. Shane. So Shane, welcome to the show. And uh, just go ahead and just briefly tell everybody about the background of why you got into podcasting, why you got into developing the Speaking to the Heart podcast network and a little bit of your backstory, if you will. Well, contrary to popular belief, you know, I did not go to school for this at all. You know, uh, I, when it came to podcasting, I knew a little bit about it. In fact, my good friend, Wayne, the hack hacker, uh, who's my co-host on a risen strength, motivational podcast. Um, he had a podcast and so that's how it is that I got to know about it. But, you know, going back to my story just a little bit, you know, I've dealt with some challenges in life. And, you know, I've gone through, and so have you, Chris, you know, I mean, I've gone through some things since I was very young. Uh, in fact, my first suicidal situation was when I was eight years old. And a lot of people say, you know, eight years old, why in the heck would you have a suicidal situation then? I couldn't tell you. I don't really know. I just know that I hated my looks. I hated my voice and I hated the way that I used to think and feel. It just so happens that now I make a living off of my voice, my looks, and the way that I think and feel, you know. So, um, you know, so the way that it came about and, you know, I had a lot of advantages that people don't get to have. Uh, you know, I had two loving parents for one, you know, that's always a start. Um, you know, I never had to worry about a roof over my head. I never had to worry about food on the table. They made some sacrifices that were pretty amazing so as to set me up to be able to be ready to take on life's challenges as they are and to take on the world as I could. 
Um, you know, but I just didn't feel it, if that makes sense. And I couldn't communicate. And we talk about that all the time, Chris, is that it's really important to know how to communicate with someone, whether it be a friend, whether it be a coworker, you know, or just, you know, somebody who's, you know, passing you by on the street. If you don't know how to communicate, you don't get very far. And that's what was happening. I was spinning my wheels, right? You know, and it wasn't going anywhere. And it was only making things, you know, kind of, I don't know, a little bit disingenuous when it came to my, you know, my family and myself, how it is that I thought and felt and the people on the outside looking in, you know, they're looking and seeing how it is that I had a lot of advantages that people don't get to have. And they're like, what in the world's wrong with you? You know, I mean, why, what, what could you possibly be depressed about, you know? And, you know, and I couldn't really explain it. You know, I just knew what the feeling was and it was a feeling of dread. And, you know, and I was just going through what it is I was going through and I just came to realize that it was life. You know, I mean, it was my life. And, you know, so while I was going through those things, you know, I was doing the best that I could. You know, we keep on talking about how, you know, you just got to keep on going forward as much as you possibly can. And I was doing that and I was hoping, and so was everybody else in the world, was hoping that I was going to grow out of this. Um, you know, but it didn't work out that way. And, you know, and when it came to, you know, my challenges with clinical depression, borderline personality disorder, PTSD, uh, you know, codependency, codependency was a real big one for me. Um, I lived in 16 states in this country. Uh, you know, I've, I've had, you know, eight homeless shelter stays. I've had seven inpatient stays, uh, you know, due to, you know, my mental health and suicidality, you know, so I went through these things and I was really going through a tough, tough time. And I came to the realization on 2012 when I lost just about everything that I could lose. And I'm not saying that it was, you know, everything that everybody could lose, but it was everything that I could. I mean, I, I lost my job. I lost my career. Uh, I lost the woman who I planned on having a long-term relationship, if not a marriage with. Um, and of course, monetarily, I was affected. And so in 2012, I made an attempt and I had a stroke as a, as a result. And, uh, you know, I was pretty, I was pretty screwed up. You know, I mean, I, I couldn't get anything out of my mouth, you know, when it came to speaking. I was stuttering so badly. Um, they thought that I had Parkinson's actually, they thought that it was like, you know, it was dormant. And so, you know, the, the side effects of what it is that I did, um, as my attempt, you know, also had lengthy side effects. So, you know, for several months, so we were trying to figure that out and I went to every single type of therapy you can imagine. You know, I mean, I went to speech therapy, I went to physical therapy, I went to psych therapy, I went to, you know, anger management, I went to, you know, depression group and everything in that sense. And I just learned, trying to learn what it is that was having me think and feel the way that I did for so long. And when I say so long, you know, like I said, my first suicidal situation was when I was eight years old, you're talking about 2012, you know, I'm 48 years old, you know, so you're talking like over 30 years of going through this dread, this, this, this thing that just kept on following me and I couldn't get rid of it. Fast forward a year and unfortunately uh, a friend of mine who was helping me cope with my depression and my symptoms and everything, um, he passed away. He passed away in a rock climbing incident and his name was Ronnie. And Ronnie would be with me with the Speaking the Heart podcast network, like no doubt about it. Um, you know, and he, when he passed away, I looked up into the sky and I said, you know, 
what in the world? Why did you give me the skill set that I have? And yet I'm going to be labeled disabled for the rest of my life. And I'm probably going to do a part-time job just to exist, you know? Um, and of course there wasn't an answer that came at that time, but shortly later, uh, you know, in December of that year, um, I was in a group and the group was talking about, you know, challenges and struggles that people have. And somebody was talking about their addiction and being in those types of groups, you hear that a lot. And they were clearly in denial. And I was sitting there and I said, I don't know, maybe I'm supposed to use my experiences to help somebody else out. And next thing you know, my heart went ba-boom. Hmm. You know, and, you know, and the thing that I didn't talk about was, is that I didn't feel my heartbeat for two years. You know, you're talking about the beginning of 2012 to the end of 2013. And I didn't feel my heartbeat. Now, obviously it was beating, but I was really used to it feeling that, that something was going on because, you know, emotionally I'm pretty, you know, right up in front and, you know, and I'm, I'm somebody that's pretty transparent. And so, you know, when I felt that it went ba-boom and it was like, whoa, something's up, <laughs> you know, something's up. Getting a calling or something. Right. Yeah. And so I went to my buddy, Wayne, uh, Wayne, the hack hacker, and I told him and he said, man, that's pretty heavy. Uh, he said, why don't you go sleep on it? And I could not sleep if my life depended on it. I really mm -hmm. couldn't. And I finally passed out like about 2.30 in the morning. And 12 minutes later or so, you know, I woke up and I felt compelled to write a letter to my demon or to my pain. And so I wrote this letter and it went from total despair to where I got a little bit angry because of what was going on and, and you know, going over the list of things of what it is that I was, that was taken from me going through these things. And so I had, you know, possibility came along with my anger, right? And then next thing you know, it was purpose. And it was all in one letter. And I called it Arisen Strength. Mm. And you know, fast forward, that became our first podcast. Our first podcast was Arisen Strength, the motivational podcast, which is all about inspiration through awareness and motivation. And so, you know, Wayne and I did that and, and we just got a really good reception, uh, you know, to the podcast uh, for what it is that we did. We didn't have a clue with what we were really doing. We, we, I didn't want to even be on social media. Are you kidding me? I didn't want to be on it at all. Um, you know, but then all of a sudden, uh, you know, we started having guests onto Arisen Strength and I started seeing the Arisen Strength within our guest, but they didn't know they had it. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw that, I said, okay, I need to build a platform. I need to build a platform so that they can show what it is that's special and unique within them. And I called it the Speak in the Heart Podcast Network. And, you know, as a speaker, when I go out and I talk about from a mental health advocate or a motivational speaker, it's from my heart to yours. And so we called it Speak into the Heart. And uh, that's how it all got started. Wow. Wow. Thank you very much for sharing that, Shane. Um, one thing I want to go back to, I think you said something very specific that I want to touch on. And that is when you were eight years old. And now you're 48 years old. And obviously as we go through life, we amass you know, lessons and, and things that we can go look back on our life and go, wow, if I would have known that back when I was 20, I would do this. But thinking about your life and thinking about being eight years old and considering the fact that I have a son, you know, Jackson, in everything you've been through now, what would you go back and tell that eight-year-old boy? And more importantly, what do you think was really the cause of why you felt suicidal, why you felt disconnected when everything was supposedly perfect and, and, and awesome? What do you think 
now looking back was some of the the determining factors in that. And what would you go back and tell that young Shane now? Well, first, I mean, people have asked me this question before. Like, if, if there was something that you could do in order to change things around, what would that be? And I always say, well, wait a minute, hold up. I've gone through everything that I've gone through to get to where I am right now. So mm-hmm. you guarantee that I'm going to be here. And most of the times they say, well, no, we can't guarantee that. I'm like, forget it. I'll, I'll, I'll take even the worst. But to answer your question as you asked it, um, it's called an illness for a reason. You know, mental illness, uh, you know, clinical depression is a mental illness. I don't know why it is that I was the way that I was. I mean, I had abandonment issues. My biological father was a mean alcoholic drug dealer, okay? Uh, But I didn't have a lengthy period of time with him. You know, it was pretty short. He was gone by the time I was four years old. And I was really lucky for my stepfather to come in and say, hey, you know, I'm going to adopt you you know, along with, with your mother. And so, you know, I was raised by these two loving parents. Now, was it perfect? No, it never was. Um, but the thing is, is that I didn't come with a book, just like we, all of us don't come <laughs> with a book. And, you know, and they thought that they were doing everything right. You know, what it was is that there was, uh, our next door neighbor has four sons. And so they were kind of like basing things off of that you know, like to kind of get an idea of what it's like to have a son, what it, what it's like to expect and everything like that. And I was just opposite of what it is that they were for the most part. And they did, they just didn't realize it. And, you know, so abandonment definitely was an issue for me. Um, you know, and clinical depression, you know, clinical depression is an illness. It's not an emotion. And so, I think I was dealing with it from the very, very beginning. And, you know, and so to tell what it is that I would tell that young boy is to do your best to communicate as best as you can. But I, you know, I, I, I can't say that I did it all the time, but when I did do it, it didn't come out right. You know, it just didn't come out right. It sounded like I was blaming my parents or they took it as like I was blaming my parents. And they, you know, because I think that when you got to think about it, when you're watching your, your son or your daughter, you know, trying to take their life, you know, off of this earth, you know, that puts things in perspective in a totally different manner, you know? Mm -hmm. And so they were probably scared out of their damn mind. And, uh, you know, so they reacted in ways that, that wasn't helpful. And I reacted in ways that wasn't helpful. So, I mean, to answer your question, I guess it is to try to communicate as best as possible, but I want to make it clear I was dealing with an illness. And so I think that that is something that needs to be, you know, well known. Okay, cool, cool. I appreciate you sharing that. And that's, that's something. And then for those of you guys watching, this obviously is the raw and unscripted podcast. And I want to take things in a different direction to better understand both myself and also just to eliminate some things for you guys out there. You talk about mental illness and whatnot. And one of the difficulties I've had over the years is thinking about things in terms of whether or not they're truly an illness or they're a decision. So, and for an example, back when they would say, you know, alcoholic, alcoholism is, a, is an illness, I would sit there and say, no, it's a choice because you can literally choose to pick up the, the, the bottle of whatever it is. You can choose to do drugs. I mean, that's a choice. To me, that's not necessarily an illness. Now, of course, my thoughts have changed about that because I'm older and I understand biology and chemistry and things of that nature. But help right. us understand when somebody says they're mentally ill and they're truly mentally ill and what the difference is between the people who use it as a scapegoat or as an excuse for why they're not doing things and why they're unhappy in their lives. Talk to us about that delineation. 
You know, that's a really great question. And, you know, the answer is that it's the way that we're wired in our brain. You know, I mean, some people go through some experiences that create wiring the way that it is. You know, like, say, for instance, like I told you, I deal with issues when it comes to abandonment. You know what I mean? And, and you know, PTSD, you know, things happen. And so the brain is amazing. I mean, the brain is just so so far beyond anything of what it is that we would expect. But, um, you know, so it takes a snapshot and says, hey, you know, let's not do this again. Or when we do this again, we are going to either run like hell or we're going to fight like hell. That's basically the idea. Or we're going to freeze and, you know, hope for the best. So you had mentioned addiction. And I can tell you, you know, I've done a lot of studies in regards to this, and I've done a lot of studies in regards to the mindset and the brain. And, you know, what I learned about addiction and how it works is something that if I had known that, I would have never stepped in the way of addiction in my lifetime. You know what I mean? It, was, mm-hmm. it would have been something that, you know, it's like, okay, we need to stay the heck away from this because this is what's happening. And to give you an example, when somebody has their first high, okay, whether no matter what that may be, whether it be alcohol, whether it be drugs, whether it be gambling, whatever that is, when you have your first high, you have your peak. And it's so much so that your brain literally says, hey, wait a minute, similar to like PTSD, it says, this ain't right. You know, let's not do this again. Um, so it goes ahead and it says, all right, we don't want this to happen again. So when you participate in whatever it is that your addiction is or whatever it is that that activity is, instead of the neurons going up, we're going to have them go out. We're going to have them go wide out. And as they go wide out, then they only go up a little bit. And this is what creates the cravings, you know, because you already had that high and you're sitting there and you're like, this is the way that it's supposed to be every time. Mm-hmm. And then when your brain is saying, no, this is never going to happen again, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We, we're making it this way. Um, and it creates that craving. And, you know, and it just so happens that the brain is so far advanced than what it is that we are, you know, that, you know, it, it, it really is kind of like ahead of the game and we're sitting there trying to play the game, right? And, and it's just not working right. So I know that that's a little bit, you know, I don't know, like an amateur way of looking at it. But really, the bottom line is, is that it's an illness. It's something that it's the way that our brain is, is working and it works against us. You know, um, you know, I can tell you that somebody does not wake up uh, in the morning and says, you know, I want to be an alcoholic or I want to be, you know, a drug addict. I want to go. I want to be homeless you know, to get that last fix. Um, Nobody really wants to do that. It's something that's going on within the brain that's having that happen. Now, you mentioned choices. There are choices. There's Mm -hmm. no question about it. There are choices that we can have. And that goes for everything. You know, there's choices for us to have a negative mindset. There's choices for us to have a positive mindset. There's choices for us to, you know, participate in our addiction. And then there's choices not to participate in our addiction. Here's what happens, though, is that because everything is working against us in the first place, it takes a while in order to break that pattern. 
And that's what it is. I, I've studied this a big time when it came to, you know, my personal life and that is my patterns. And, you know, here it is, we're trying to break a pattern. And when you do that, it takes anywhere between 30 and 60 to 90 days, you know, for whatever that pattern would be for the, the most minimal pattern, much less if you're talking about something that you're doing for a lengthy period of time, which a lot of people who are dealing with addiction do, you know, whether it be 10 years, 20 years, whatever. Um, you know, so you're sitting there and you are now going through all the things that you're going through that your choices and you're trying to, you know, people, places and things. So you do that, but then you're left with me, myself and I, and that is what got you started into the pattern in the first place, right? Because you're sitting there and something's just not, you know, there's an underlying thing that's going on. And that seems to be you know, a very common thing. And the same thing when it comes to, you know, our mental health, you know, something's going on. And, you know, you can be functioning. See, that's the thing. When people look at, like, when mental health, like we were just talking about, you know, the, the shootings that happen, unfortunately. And, and, I, and I get upset with that because the, the very first thing that they talk about is mental health. And it's Organ hard. control. <laughs> Or gun control. Or, or gun That's control. That's why we need gun control. <laughs> right. But, you know, but the thing is, is that it's hard to argue, right? Because somebody went ahead and did something very, very wrong. Um, you know, so you would hope that there was something, there was a reason that kind of didn't make sense, that it would lead somebody to do that. But, you know, the thing is, is that not all people who have mental health are non-functioning or or angry or or dangerous in fact the majority of people who deal with mental health are more likely to hurt themselves than anybody else and so when i say the majority i'm talking about like 98 percent. so when you're seeing all these shootings and everything yeah it's really concerning but when you're talking about the vast number of people that were are in this country and the vast number of people who deal with mental health it's a very small percentage of where people are literally hurting other people, you know, because of what it is that they're thinking and feeling at that time. So, you know, when to answer your question is, it's within our, it's, it's our hardwire. It's something that's just not, not connecting. And can we help ourselves when it comes to our choices? Yes, absolutely. Because the choices can develop new patterns right? The choices can develop new patterns, which then can develop new wiring within us. And then we can have a chance. But we are, but you know, the thing is, is like when it comes to an addiction, it only takes once, right? It only takes once to go back, you know, whether it be one drink, whether it be one fix, whether it be one gamble, whatever that is, it only takes once in order to go right back and not just go back, but go back to where it is that you were when you stopped which was at the utmost, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, so we're really going against what it is that's hardwired in us. Um, and so, yeah, you can make those choices. I mean, I deal with chronic nerve pain, right? Now, I could sit there and I can moan and I can bitch and I can complain all I want, you know? And you and do. I, and I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do at times. Do. Sometimes do. you have to, right? Sometimes you do. You have oh, to yeah. be transparent. But the thing is, is that, you know, it could keep me from doing things. Mm. And what I choose to do is I try to, to have that, that equation is, is 
if it's incrementally better to do something versus not do it, then I'm going to do it. So in other words, like I, I used to play golf, you know, since I was very young, I loved to play golf and, you know, but for three years I didn't play because of my nerve pain. I mean, the doc literally said I wouldn't suggest it, you know? Um, you know, so I, so I stayed away from it. It scared the hell out of me. And, you know, and then one year I just said, you know what? I miss it too much, you know? And is it going to hurt when I swing? Damn right. It's going to hurt, but is it going to be incrementally more fun to do it rather than not to do it? And the answer is yes. And therefore I go ahead and I try. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for answering that. Uh, I want to stay with this for a little bit because I think it's important for us and considering my background in both being addicted, um, not in the fullest extent, but having addictive patterns or tendencies, I guess, um, with alcohol, with cigarettes, um, with pain pills to a certain extent. Um, I look back on my life and I think about the different choices that I made. I started drinking when I was 13 years old. I started smoking when I was 13 years old. I started smoking pot when I was 13 years old. Uh, I started drinking seriously probably around 15 years old. Um, all these different things, obviously a lot of bad patterns, a lot of bad behaviors. But then there was a point where I tried ecstasy and I was probably about 16 years old. And I remember taking it and you talk about, I mean, at that point in my life, I was miserable. I was homeless. I was sometimes living in a motel with drugs and prostitutes and suicidal, um, hardly any friends. I mean, I, the, the litany of things that I could sit there and list is, is long. Mm -hmm. And when I took that one pill, when you talk about taking that, that one thing, I took that pill. And I remember I'm like, okay, what am I doing here? Because I, I was the guy that would sit there and say, oh, here, take this, Chris. And I would take it. I'm like, okay, what was that? <laughs> and I, and they were, but they were talking about it. They're like, okay, you take this pill and then all of a sudden, you know, you're going to get, your eyes are going to get gray and everything's going to get fuzzy. You're going to feel weird. Don't freak out. And then all of a sudden, boom, it's going to get cleared and you're going to have what's called permagrin. And I'm like, permagrin? I don't smile. And at that time, my teeth, before I got my teeth fixed, I had fangs and I just didn't smile much. Right. And I'm like, okay, you wait me to tell me I'm going to take this pill and I'm going to suddenly feel awesome. And they're like, dude, you're going to feel awesome. And I'm like, okay, sign me up because up until now, my life has sucked. And so I remember taking the pill. I was riding in the back seat of a 72 Volkswagen. And um, I remember taking it. We left work and we were going to go to this, guy, this guy's apartment and kind of hang out and party. And we got to the grocery store and it kicked in. And I just remember being like, oh, wow, this is the fucking mother load, man. This is the best thing. I, I'm seriously, I didn't smile. I was, you know, I was mad. I was just, I was not a positive person. Um, and I remember walking through the grocery store, looking at everybody and smiling, just like, hi, hi, hi. I'm like, this is fucking amazing. Yeah. This would be, this would be given to everybody. And uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks, I took probably about maybe five to seven more pills, you know, just on occasion. I was like, oh my God, this is great. The come down off it was kind of harsh, but for that period of time, I just felt on top of the world. I didn't care about anything. I felt still in control. It wasn't like alcohol or, or, or um, pot or anything. It was just like this amazing thing. And then there came a point, and mind you, I'm still about 15, 16 years old, where this guy, and this is when new ecstasy was new. This is actually when it came from Dallas, Texas. And this guy said, I will give you 10 pills if you run some errands for me. And I was like, 10? All for myself? And all I have to do is do some errands? But there was something, Shane, that's the point of this. There was something in me that said, do not do that. Right. There was something in me that said, Chris, you're on the tipping point of fucking your life up. Don't do it. And I had every reason and every desire to continue feeling great because I felt miserable. But in that moment, 
I made that choice. At 15, 16 years old, miserable as I was, I made that choice not to go down that road. So talk to us about how, what makes me different, considering I look at everybody as all being equal and all being the same. Obviously, we have genetic differences and you know, chemical differences, all those different things. But right. talk to us about why somebody with my frame of mind and everything else and already having certain addictions, why did I not do that? And why have I been pretty good about uh, not being addicted to anything else for the rest of my life? You know, I mean, the thing is, is that, like, like I said, when you're talking about making a choice and to break the pattern and everything like that, and it doesn't sound like you really had a lengthy period of time as to where you were doing that particular vice, right? You know, when it came to, like you did, you said you did five pills or something like that. Whereas people, you know, are getting a fix for a year, two years, you know, almost every day if they could, you know? And so it like instills a pattern in, into them. So you might not have had that to the point as to where you, you, you got to that point. Thankfully that you had that insight within you at that young age. And that comes from our adversity, right? I mean, I don't think that somebody that would be dealing with life and life is just great and everything's wonderful. And then they go ahead and they give them a pill and it makes them feel even more wonderful that he would have that insight to say, no, I'm on my, I'm on tilt right now. You know, I mean, I need to stay away from this thing. This is not going to be good for me. You knew that because of the adversity that you've been through, you know, in, in your world. And I've been through similar things. Um, you know, but a lot of people go to addiction and a lot of people go to, you know, the behaviors and patterns that they go through as an escape. And so that's when, it, when I said, you know, when it comes to somebody who stops or, or, or like um, abstains, you know, from their addiction, you know, they have to replace it with something. If they don't, you know, they have a huge void in their world. And, you know, so you're sitting there and then you're with me, myself and I again. And you were the one that got you in that pattern in the first place, you know. So it's like, so that's really what it is that, that I've learned. Um, you know, in my experience and, and from other people who I've been around and, and helped and everything in that sense, doing things. But, you know, I mean, the bottom line is, is that, yeah, we do have a choice. We do have a choice in order to not participate into an addiction pattern or into an addiction behavior. It's hard. It's hard. It takes work. Mm -hmm. You know, it really does. It takes work. You know, people, places, and things. You know, you dump people who are like going to be around that addiction pattern, you know, and places, you know, it's like places of which really feel familiar to you. You know, I, I, I'll, I'll even go one further for you. At one point in time, my doctors told me that I was addicted to suicidality. Hmm. Now, when they said that, I said, don't tell me that because <laughs> I'm dead. <laughs> you know, what, was the base, what was the basis for that prognosis? Well, because of the number of attempts that I've made, I've made numerous attempts, uh, you know, since, since I was eight years old was my first suicidal situation. Uh, I actually, you know, I had a revolver pointed at my chest and I said, listen, all I have to do is pull the trigger and it's finally over, you know, and thankfully my grandfather, uh, came to the stairs and said, Hey, come on down for ice cream sodas. And, you know, I was eight years old. So it's like the difference between, okay, pulling a trigger and not having ice cream sodas. I went ahead with ice cream sodas that day. 
but my first suicidal attempt was when I was 11 years old. And, you know, it was just one of those things as to where miscommunication and, you know, the way that I took, you know, something that was said to me. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, I just said, it's time to go. I'm done with this. And, you know, and a lot of people say, you know, it's like they just want, they just want to, you know, not have the pain. I wasn't one of those. I wanted out. I wanted, I was just done. I, I, because I felt like I was falling through the cracks. I, and, and I couldn't be helped because it didn't seem like I needed help, mm. you know, because I was functioning, right? right? You know, I mean, that's what they would all, they would always be on the surface. They would say, well, he's very articulate and he's very <laughs> smart and he knows how to, you know, and he knows how to talk and, and he, and he's, you know, and, and he's pretty good looking kid. You know, it's like, as if that means anything, you know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. you know, but the bottom line is, is that I was suffering. And I was suffering for a very long time and I was going through it 365 days a year. And that's something, you know, it's like we can go into a whole rabbit hole here. But when it comes to suicidality, a lot of people think that, okay, well, you know, that's a very selfish thing to do or it's something or they took the weak way out. You know, let me tell you something. I know the real deal. When you're sitting there and you're in dread for 365 days, there is no weak out. You know, I mean, you're sitting there and you are going through what it is that you're going through on a continual basis. And it just brings you to that point as to where your brain starts working against you. And what happens is for me, it was you start answering your own questions, you know, because you're going to question as to why it is that you would take yourself out of this world. And, you know, it's like when you start answering your own questions, now you're in trouble because like I would say, well, OK, well, your parents are going to miss you. Yeah, but now they're not going to have the baggage of me anymore, you know, and they're not going to be embarrassed to have me around anymore, you know, or your friends are going to miss you. Yeah, but did they ever really know me? You know, mm -hmm. they knew me on the surface, but did they really know me for what it is that I was and what it is that I thought and felt? Um, you know, so that, those types of things, when you start answering those questions, things get dangerous and you are now more into a box. And the walls just keep on coming in, coming in. And then all of a sudden, taking your own life is not only a possibility or, you know, it really feels like it's the only answer. Mm -hmm. Because you're not in a well mind. <clears throat> you know, you're not in a well mind. And so that is something that we need to get across these days, you know, because suicidality is not minimizing it's 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 expanding it's expanding far far too much mental health you know is one out of every four people in this country that deal with mental health in some manner you know and not all mental health patients deal with suicidality but you know we need to talk real about these things we need to we need to be transparent about these things so that we can start coming up with some damn solutions as mm -hmm. opposed to you know you know certain pharmaceutical companies making a drug here and doing this and everything like that. They might mean well, they might not. Maybe it's, maybe it's just a money thing. Some of the pharmaceutical companies that I've worked with, the people that I worked with care that much. I know. I mean, I've been on, you know, um, different advisory boards and, and such. And the people that I work with, they care. Now, do the people who make the money care? I don't know, but I just know that we need to start talking about these things in a way that's going to bring solutions. Hmm.
No, that's a great answer, Shane. And thank you for sharing that because I think it's important for all of us to understand the intricacies of what goes on in somebody's mind that maybe we don't understand ourselves. I still hold people in a higher regard for the responsibility of their choices. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I want to I talk about that you just, you just hit on as far as a question that came to my mind is um, I had a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, uh, a friend of the family, actually part of the family, my wife's family. Um, her husband committed suicide uh, a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. And um, he had com- tried to commit suicide before and, and he failed. And when he was on his medication, he was fine. And that was the thing that really kind of struck us is that what happened to him? Why did he stop taking his medication? If he knew he was fine and he was doing fine and he was adjusting and he wasn't having those thoughts anymore, what prompts a person? I mean, I have a couple ideas in my mind, but what really prompts a person to sit there and have that discussion in their brain saying, okay, wow, I keep taking this thing and it's making me better and I feel better and I'm not having those anxiety attacks. I'm not having those things. I'm working through you know, situations in life. Let me just stop taking that. And I know that potentially the answer is going to be, well, they stopped taking it because they think they don't need it anymore. They think they're strong enough. But obviously, if they stop taking it and they start feeling that again, why is it that they don't take responsibility for saying, hey, you know what? I made a bad choice. Let me go back on the medicine because on the medicine, I wasn't having these thoughts. Why do they continue to go down that rabbit hole and impact other people in their lives? Because when you talk about, you know, obviously they think that they're not going to impact anybody's life. But I can tell you that his suicide impacted his sons and impacted her and impacted a lot of people. Um, and I, I go back to choices. Yeah, I know that he was, he was disturbed and he had a lot of different things going on in his brain. But why would somebody do that to not only themselves, but to the people they love when they have the answer right there and they have so many other answers around them? Well, you know, I mean, that's a really complex question. And, you know, I can only go from what it is that I've learned from, you know, different uh, research that I've done as well as my own type of situation. I used to be on medication and let me tell you something, you know, there's certain medications that have you have restless leg syndrome. Um, There are certain medications that have you feel logy and feel, you know, kind of just like out of it. Mm -hmm. There are certain medications that, you know, kind of have you being tired all the time. Um, there are certain medications that, you know, um, what happens is, is that, you know, you're sitting there and you, you end up hitting the ceiling of the therapeutic value of that medication. That might have changed. You know, he didn't necessarily, a person doesn't necessarily have to not take their medication to all of a sudden go back to, you know, something that is a dangerous situation. It could be that the therapeutic value hit its ceiling. And if they didn't realize it, and if they didn't have communication with their doctor or, you know, let's talk about it. Doctors don't spend time like they really need to when it comes to, when it comes to patients sometimes, you know, so when you're talking about like a prescription doctor, you know, they're basically going off of what you tell them. So if you tell them that everything's fine, they go along with everything's fine. In the meantime, it's not, you know, and, and I come at it from, and this is something that's unique because I talk about what it is that I do now as a purpose. There's no question in my mind that the experiences that I've gone through is for this purpose. You know what I mean? I um, and one of those things is, is that I was a medical billing expert. I was a medical billing consultant, you know, so I looked at it from the medical side as well. 
I've read many, many, you know, thousands of different medical records. You know, I've, I've gone through how doctors assess patients and, you know, why they do things the way that they do it. Um, and I've also seen how that works. And that's why when I'm talking with my audience, I try to empower them. I try to empower them when they go to their doctor because a lot of people look at it from the standpoint that the doctor in some way is really hiring them when it's the exact opposite. You know, we are hiring our doctor. It's not the other way around. And, you know, so it's important to communicate with your doctor. And so when you're sitting there and you're saying everything's fine or you go in there and you say you have a headache, right? Well, the doc's going to sit there and, and he's going to be like, you're kidding me, right? I mean, there's so many damn things that could be a reason for you to have a headache. I don't even know where to begin. And I got to get to my next patient because I have to see so many patients in order to keep the lights on. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so they're going to just sit there and they're going to prescribe Tylenol and say, you know, if it gets any worse, go to the emergency room or contact me and we'll figure it out then. Meanwhile, you've got a headache that's in the back of your head because you have, you know, a blood clot or something that's on your spine. You know what I mean? It, you know, something, something there. But you just say headache. You know, it's important to communicate. And we're, I mean, that seems to be like the, the common denominator here. It's important to communicate with what it is that we're going through. Communicate now, honestly. And honestly. Thoroughly. Yes. Yes, totally. Yeah. And transparently. You know, I mean, like if you're sitting there and you're doing, let's say that you're doing CBD oil. Now that might seem something that's just normal and, and it's, it's, it, it comes from the ground and everything is fine and there's no, no need to tell my doctor that. Yes, there is. <laughs> you know, there is. There is a reason to tell your doctor that this is happening. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people are using it, you know, but a lot of people don't really see the need to tell their doctor. Well, there is when you're prescribing something along with that CBD oil. So, you know, but, but to get back to your question, you know, it's an unwell mind. When somebody is taking, their, taking an opportunity to take their life, they have an unwell mind. It's not because they want to be that way. It's just the fact that, that something's just not working right. Something, something's happened, whether they had some experiences that happened or whether they're hardwired in a way that is working against them. And it's, you know, I just thought about this. It's like the game of shoots and ladders. You know what I mean? It's like you roll the dice and next thing you know, you end up taking a, a couple steps and you go down a slide or you go down a trap door or, you know, or at some days you go up and you go ahead and you go up the stairs. You know what I mean? Like somebody who's dealing with suicidality, a lot of people say, what happened? You know, it's like they're totally taken by surprise. Like when Robin Williams took his life, I remember this to, to the day and he was one of my very favorites. And I remember I was on Facebook and I went on and I put a post there and I said, this is a surprise to everybody but him. Because he's so been there. Yeah, he's mm -hmm. been there. You know what I mean? He's been there before. This isn't the first time. He did twice. He did two attempts that day. Mm. You know what I mean? So it's like he's and he's been there before, whether it be overdosing on cocaine or, or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, alcohol. He did so many damn things that, you know, he's been there before. So this is not something that was new to him. Um, you know, so 
I can't tell you why it is that somebody would do this, but I can just tell you that, you know, the stigma of like, they took the easy way out and, you know, and they didn't think of people. They do nothing but think of people. They really do. They validate themselves. They validate the situation. Like I said, you know, like I literally, literally wrote a letter and I told my parents, you know what? You're not going to have to deal with me anymore. You're not going to have to go to the hospitals. You're not going to have to hear that I lost my license. You're not going to have to hear that I lost this relationship. You're not going to have to hear that, you know, that I did this or I did that or I was or I couldn't do this or I couldn't do that. That's embarrassing, man. You know, I mean, it's embarrassing. And, you know, and it's not it's not an ego thing. It's really a submission thing. And, you know, and when you get to that point, you know, and you're sitting there and you are contemplating taking your own life, I promise you, you're thinking nothing but everybody else. And it just so happens that you think about it for 365 days out of the year. And then that one day you validate yourself enough in order to make that attempt. So, you know, when, when you, when that particular situation, yeah, when he was taking his medication, he might've seemed as if he was better, but he might've realized that there was a difference. Like when I had a stroke, right? When people see me on stage and speaking and see me in front of a podcast, in front of a video and everything, nobody knows that I had a stroke. They have no idea. I do. (laughs) I, I know. I know when it is that I'm thinking in my head and what comes out of my mouth. You know, or I, I see a lot when I'm typing, you know, like I, I'll leave like the last letter off or it's, it's really strange and it's, it's happening more and more lately, um, you know, or like the word two, you know, it's like, I'll think of the number and I'm writing T-O-O, you know, and it's like, and that's just because my, my hardwire is that way right now, you know, from that experience. And so, you know, it's like, it's, it's really that subtle but it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Then thank you for sharing that with me. I think it's illuminating to the fact that sometimes we, those of us who have the control or have the ability to um, manipulate our thoughts and our, and our minds and, and our focuses. Um, some people just don't have that or don't want it or haven't been taught it. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that. I want to shift and, gears for just a second. And support. Um, I, I, want to get, I want to get one thing out. Support too. Because yeah. if they don't get support, and again, it comes down to communication. If they're not communicating that they need support, then they're alone and they're mm-hmm. isolating. And that's where things really happen. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I really want to get that out there. No, I mean, that's important. I think it goes back to, at least for me still, and I know I'll probably get hate mail for this. There's still, I mean, for the people who aren't like super chronically ill or super chronically um, depressed and, what, and whatnot, there has to be that ownership, that acceptance, that acceptance of responsibility to say, you know what, I'm kind of fucked up right now. I need to go talk to somebody. I need to go share this with somebody. And I think that's some of the great stuff that's happening in social media and happening in the world today that people are being more vulnerable, more transparent. That's one of the reasons you know that we started this show, Raw and Unscripted, because I was not feeling my best. I was not feeling my best mentally, physically, and I'm still not. Here we are on show number 18. I feel like I'm better than I was when I started, but where I was when I was really on top of things, I'm not there yet. And that's why I wanted to do this show. And you and I talked about it. It's like, well, fuck it. Let's just show people what it takes to rebuild yourself, what it takes to, to get back on top and to go through those struggles. Um, 
so I mean, so I saw that situation with people because obviously I'll talk to people and like, oh yeah, I'm depressed and I can't do this. And I'm like, what books have you read in the last two weeks on this subject? And there's uh, none. How many hours of uh, fucking Kardashians have you watched? How many hours of, of this have you watched? How many, how many hours of sports have you watched? And I sit, they sit there and look at me like, oh man, it's so easy for you. You have all the answers. I'm like, it's not a matter of having the answers. It's a matter of knowing what it is that you have and dealing with it and accepting responsibility and addressing it versus like, oh yeah, it'll go away. I'll deal with it some other time. I want to shift gears a little bit, but on the same subject, because um, you and I were talking uh, during, uh, before we went on camera about the recent shootings and the recent things that are going on. Um, there's obviously multiple directions we can go on that. But what I want to really focus on, Shane, is for the people out there, the adults that are out there watching who have kids whether like mine, two and a half years old, they have somebody who's eight years old, they have somebody who's 13 years old, 16 years old. Obviously the kids, and I, I just talked about this recently, the fact that we're born at nine months is due to the fact that our brains are so big we can't fit through the birth canal. And people think we're born and we have the capability and the equipment to start rationalizing and thinking like adults, you know, when we start getting older. Jackson's two and a half years old, he's not listening very well. He's doing all sorts of things. So I went on and Googled and I've done a bunch of research on the, the psychological development of our brains between zero and five. Right. And, and I know a lot about it, but I was actually really surprised to find that at his age right now, there's over 700 neurons beginning to fire every second. So yep. there's a lot going on there, but yet I expect him to cognitively understand because he can communicate now. Like Jackson, when I say stop, you need to stop. And he's just like still doing all sorts of other things. But the real crux of the question is what can parents do to be more responsible, be more involved with their kids' lives. Because when, when these kids are doing these things and the parents come on camera and go, I had no idea Jimmy had 17 rifles in his bedroom. That fucking pisses me off to no extent. I want to throat punch the fucking parents. I think they should go to jail. And I'm saying this on camera, that pisses me off. I didn't know he was upset. I didn't know he was depressed. He looked fine. Yeah. Talk to me about what parents can do and the responsibility they can take and the shit they have to get into I don't want to go in his room. I don't want to snoop. Talk to us about what parents really need to do to get to the heart of the situation so that their kids are not either suicidal. They're not fucking carrying guns to school. They're not shooting innocent people in a public place because they're trying to get attention or they're trying to make a name for themselves. Talk to us about what we can do to start avoiding and stopping some of the shit that's going on. Participate. Participate in the, in, in the life of your child. You know, I mean, be there, be in there. You know, it's like, talk to them. You know, one of the things that's happening too is that we're not being taught the things that life will bring. Amen. You know, all right. You know, I mean, it's like what's happening is, is that there's a sense of entitlement, you know, as the generations are going on here. And so while there's entitlement, they're not ready for rejection. They're not ready for, you know, to where it's like, Hey, look, you, what it is that your parents told you, what it is that the TV show told you, it doesn't happen that way sometimes, you know? And, you know, like, so ideas of rejection or, or loss, right? Grief, um, or, you know, or relationships or, you know, and, and like, how about the fact that not every relationship that we have is meant to be with us for the rest of our lives? even though that we want it to and that we feel that it will. But I mean, the reality is, is that we have seasons in our life, right? You know, we have seasons as to where, you know, we have friends who stay for a season and then unfortunately they either pass away or they move away or something, 
you know um you know so things things happen and so what's happening is is that our generation that is right now that is in that is starting right now are not being taught how to deal with those things mm-hmm. and so that's 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 tough you know what i mean it's like you know it's like it's it's not like we're not talking about like I don't know, sexual education or something like that. Remember how, you know, Oh, you know, it's like mm. the bees. That's and- being taught when they're five years old. Apparently now I heard, yeah, you know, yeah, like, apparently at least in California, there's some new school curriculum where they're teaching pretty graphic stuff at a very early age. It's disturbing. And it is disturbing. And you know, listen, I you love, them, you can't teach them how to com- have a conversation or balance their checkbook, but you're going to teach them how to uh, have sex with a dental dam or their credit. Or, or, or to, or to get them started on the right path with credit, you know, mm-hmm. and that, how, how important is credit in this world? I can tell you because I don't, I'm, I go through it, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I go through a struggling time with it. My parents taught me, but you know what? Talk about the hardwire of me. When, when my parent, I was saving, I just kept on saving, 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 saving. And my parents said, Oh my God, you know, it's like, he's got like $5,000 into the, into the account. And he's like, you need to do something for yourself. Okay. So it's like, so I bought a, a, um, an RC 10 remote control car, you know, it was a badass car. Right. You know, and I went racing, you know what I mean? If you ever want to like go through a bank account, go racing, you know, <laughs> yeah. you don't win anything. You know what I mean? When it comes to monetary, you can win as many races as you can and you ain't, you're still not going to replenish your bank account. Um, you know, so I did that. And, you know, and then I got in, it just got into my own way of doing things and, and, and I struggle with it. You know, um, I've made some bad choices in my lifetime and part of that is my credit, you know, so it's, it's tough. So these things are necessary to talk about instead of some of the things that are being taught in schools these days. Another problem is, is that, you know, and I, listen, I love the United States. I really do. I love the United States. I really love the era that we're in. You know, I really do because we have so much opportunity that's out there. I mean, think about it. If I was, you know, back in the seventies, you know, with my, with my challenges and struggles right now, I'd be in an asylum somewhere, mm-hmm. right? They wouldn't yep. even let me out. You know, I've been in those. I know what that's like. I know what it's like when the door closes and they don't let you out just because you asked them to. Mm-hmm. So if it was in the seventies, right? I wouldn't have that opportunity to be able to own what it is that I own today. Right. So I love the internet. I love the, the, the ability to learn like YouTube, right. And, and everything like that. I love the ability to, to self learn what it is that we're doing. But because of this, you know, the younger generation, you know, the envelope is wide open now. You know, there is no, there, there's no regulation anymore. You know, and, you know, and, and really parents do have a tough time, you know, I mean, they have a tough time because if they sit there and let's say that they go ahead and they, they keep their child from learning everything, whether it be porn or whether it be, you know, something that's going to get them in trouble, guns, whatever the case may be, (coughs) you know, if they keep them from, from doing that outside of like their friends and stuff, well, then it, it creates a problem within the relationship. And then next thing you know, they go run. It's a tough time, but the bottom line is, is that you need to participate. You need to participate. You need to communicate. I mean, I can't 
I mean, that's really the, the, the crux of everything that we're talking about here. Participate and communicate, um, you know, especially when we're talking about our children. You know, I didn't have children for a reason, you know, mm. because I, you know, I did not want to be like my biological father. I didn't want to be somebody who deals with, you know, addiction and, and deals with, you know, mental health challenges and everything like that and resent my child. I didn't want to do that. I wanted right. my child to have everything. And if I couldn't do that, then I wasn't going to have one. And so that was a choice that I made, um, you know, and I think that it was the right one. Right. Awesome. No, I think, I think that's, that's paramount in people's lives is that they have to accept responsibility and participate in their, their family's life. Because I, when I talk to people and before I had Jackson, I would interview parents just from a, a standpoint of finding out what the process most people go through and raising their kids and what do they teach them and how much are they in their life versus giving them freedom in their life, um, how much they are exposing them to the truth and the rawness of real life and what age they're doing at. So I've heard the gamut of different things and I've seen what from those conversations when the kids were three years old, five years old, seven years old, to now seeing their kids in their 20s and their 30s even. I mean, I've been asking these questions for a long time. I've always just been that interested person. Um, it is actually fascinating to see that some of them were like, you know, I'm gonna let my kids be whatever they want. Kids should be kids. They shouldn't have rules. They shouldn't have boundaries. They shouldn't have that. Um, I've seen that from personal experience, how that turned out for somebody when I've known their kids since they were three and five, and now they're in their 20s. Um, one kid turned out to be Ajax, the white tornado. And the other one turned out to be really, really good just by the fact that she looked at everything else and said, I'm not going to go batshit crazy like that. Uh, I got to make some different choices and, and essentially kind of followed along the footstep that I did. It was like, okay, no, 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 I'm not going to repeat these patterns. I'm going to take responsibility for myself. I'm going to get away from those people that are causing these things or perpetuating these things. So I think that's super valid. And, and that's one of the things I want everybody out there to really take from this show is that you have to accept responsibility. It's you that are doing or not doing these things. So if you're surprised that your kid is doing or not doing something, you need to dig, you need to get into their ass and make it uncomfortable and share with them why it's because you love them. Because I've said this before on this show and I've said it to you, Shane, and I say it a lot. And actually I'm using it on myself. We can, we can read books, we can have books, we can have podcasts, we can have all this information but until we get to a point where the pain of dealing with it and facing with it, until that pain becomes great enough, becomes enough leverage for us to actually change and do shit, oftentimes we don't. Oftentimes we play the someday game. Well, someday I'll deal with that or, yeah, I got to do that next week or, you know, I really should get them in a counseling session or I really should go talk to the, the teachers at the school. You know, I really should be more involved. The fact is that we need to take responsibility today. Otherwise, um, we're going to be dealing with a lot of shit later on. Um, changing directions a little bit. Speaking to the Heart Podcast Network, obviously, I'm pretty intimate with it. I know the shows that are on the network. I know the things that you have planned for it. But talk to us about the vision of how you're going to take what we've talked about today with chronic pain and illness and the misnomers in society and the, and the, and the, the false beliefs that most people have. More importantly, what is, what is it that your network and your efforts and your hosts are going to do to make an impact in the world and change some of this bullshit that's going on? Well, you know that I love the Speak in the Heart Podcast Network. I mean, not just because it's something that, that I started with Wayne, which it needs to be said. Wayne was with me in the beginning when we started this, and, and he still is. He supported me from the very beginning and, and continues to do so. But he's had a miraculous story of his own, and he, and he does some things on his own that, that is now pretty damn cool. But in taking the Speak in the Heart, what we're doing 
is a little bit different than what it is that it started out to be. It started out to be a purpose, okay? It, 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 as a purpose, you don't really care about money. You don't care about numbers. You care about making a difference for that one person. Um, you know, and so the way that it started out to be was to have a platform for people to be able to express what it is that is special and unique within them when they didn't even know it. And what I learned was, is that, you know, we're in the health and wellness industry and not everybody's healthy in, in that industry. So, you know, I came to realize that. So I took some bumps and I took some, you know, pitfalls and everything. And then I came to realize that I wasn't helping people. I was supporting them, but I wasn't helping them. And this is why it is that you're on the network. You know, I mean, this is why Travis, you know, is on the network. This is, this is why it is that, that I went out and I reached out to get hosts that was going to make my audience reach outside of what it is that they were ailed by. Just reach a little bit, you know. Um, you know, when you make somebody reach outside of what it is, I fully believe that then all of a sudden that's what kicks in because it's from our heart to theirs. And what happens is, is that what's special and unique within them kicks in and then they want to actually do more, right? Because the majority of our audience who deals with chronic pain, chronic illness, mental illness, maybe even life experiences where they feel stuck by, they don't want to be just a diagnosis. They don't want to be just a symptom. And, you know, it's like I've sat across from many people from a conference table in the mental health ward, you know, who had made millions of dollars for their company, you know, because they were functioning. They knew how to do things. It's just that we kind of like adapt to what our symptoms are. We adapt to what the doctor tells you. We adapt to what it is that the Facebook group might tell you to do. You know what I mean? One of the, where you have like that echo chamber and where everybody, you know, that misery loves company type of thing. What I wanted to do with the speaking of the heart was that I wanted to educate, I wanted to entertain, and I wanted to empower all in one spot. And so that's why it is that I went out and I got different hosts. I got hosts that was helping them reach outside of what it is that they were ailed by. I got them to participate. I got them to physically participate now. You know, I mean, that's why we have the Facebook groups. The Facebook groups that we have for each show isn't just for the show. It's so that they can participate with the host, right? So mm -hmm. when you're walking Ozzy or when you're playing with Jackson or whatever the case may be, they can identify with you as a host. They can identify with you as a person and they can then participate with you, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it, it allows them to be active physically and mentally. And, you know, so we're trying to do that. Then we're trying to educate them with the blog, right? We have, the, we have our blog, uh, which is really significant. Um, it's something as to where, you know, there's the audio file, there's the text, there's the quotes, there's the YouTube video, and then there's the transcription. If you can't learn from that thing, I don't know what the heck to do. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I really don't. <laughs> no excuses, baby. <laughs> I just really don't. So, you know, there's, so there's the educational piece. And it allows us to be able to talk about it in a real deal, just like we did here today. Um, you know, so, you know, that's what it is that we're doing. And then just sit back and watch how people evolve. You know, you know this as a life coach. As people learn more and start applying what it is that they learn, they evolve. Mm -hmm. And they, they improve. 
And I feel that that's the case here. I, f- I feel the reason why we have the Phoenix as our logo is because it entails everything that we're talking about here. Because you're talking about a, a Phoenix. The story of the Phoenix is, you know, I mean, it was, it was gorgeous, right? It, was, it had brilliant color to it. It had a full life. It had all the potential in the world. And then it became, you know, faded and torn. And it just said, the hell with this. And it just like clapped its wings and it said, boom. And, you know, it's like, and next thing you know, it's in its ashes. Well, then all of a sudden the thing just rises up from the ashes Mm. for some reason. Why? I believe it's because something spoke to its heart to want to live again. And not only live, but to soar. And so what I try to do is I try to help people do more than just exist. I know what it's like to exist. I told you, I didn't feel my heartbeat for two years. So I utilize my experiences. I utilize my own transparency to be able to help others be more than the challenges that they face, whether it be through raw and unscripted, whether it be through living the dream, whether it be through healthy humor, whether it be through motivated strength. You know, all the shows that we do is designed to help somebody reach outside of what it is that they're ailed by. And that's why we come at it from different angles because people learn from different ways. And, you know, so that's what it is that, that we aim to do is to be that number one health awareness podcast network that people can rely on from a, from a patient's voice. Awesome. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for the godfather of mental health, Mr. Mr. Shane Schultz. Shane, thank you so much for being a guest, obviously on the Raw and Unscripted podcast. I think the, the information and the passion and the authenticity of what you shared today uh, can really help move people to take further responsibility for their actions, not settle in mediocrity, not play the someday game, not blame other people or other outside situations for what it is that they're dealing with and to actually finally take responsibility, take that next step to wellness, not just treating the symptom of situations, but actually treating the underlying problem. Ladies and gentlemen, you guys are watching this, you're listening to this. You have the ability to dig deeper. You have the resources to find out what the true problem is that you're dealing with. I am living example. I am constantly, people say, I don't know how you do it, Chris. I don't know how you do it. I'm like, I'm constantly reading books, audible books, podcasts, um, blogs. I'm constantly filling my brain to learn what that next nugget is. What's that next thing that's going to push me across the finish line so that I can continue achieving my goals, continue becoming stronger, continue changing my belief patterns. I have to do that. Nobody's going to come and tell me, hey, Chris, book, you know, it's going to change your life. I mean, I mean, sure, recommendations are great, but it's my choice whether to do it. I am constantly filling my brain full of that information. I'm taking responsibility. I'm being honest. I'm being transparent. That's how you do it. You don't do it by playing the Sunday game. You don't play, you don't do it by what are, what is everybody else on social media doing? You do it by just getting in there and taking care of it because the sooner you guys do that, the sooner you can heal, the sooner you can become stronger and the sooner you can make a difference in your community. And that's what this show is all about. This is what this network is about, is creating a movement, creating energy and momentum of confidence that's building like a tidal wave. And we start crashing down on some of this shit that's going on in our world so that we don't live our life with a bunch of regrets saying, you know what? I should have done more in my community. I should have done more in the world. I should have made the pain and the crap that I went through mean something. Like you were saying before, we have things for a season, a reason, or a lifetime. Um, Shane, where can everybody learn more about the Speaking to the Heart Network? Obviously, our show is on there, but for other people that are listening to this, where can they go to find out more about the shows, find out more about you, and find out more about your particular podcast that you're doing now? Well, the website is speakingtotheheart.org. 
Uh, it's that simple. Uh, but we also have a sponsor. We have a new sponsor called Easy Card, and really easy to <laughs> hook up with us. Uh, you know, if you have a cell phone, or if you, uh, you know, with a cell phone, there's a call to action by text. You simply text the number two and the word heart together to 64600, you're linked with us. Boom, it's that easy. Um, if you're doing it by a URL, uh, you do easycard.com forward slash to heart, the number two in the word heart, and you can do it on your desktop. The thing that's cool about this thing is that it is not just an app that's on your cell phone where it takes away the memory on your cell phone. You know how that goes, right? They, they don't give mm -hmm. you enough memory on your phone. Um, this is actually a web app. So there is no memory being taken from your cell phone. So this is really very cool. Uh, you get to have everything that the Speaking of the Heart does. Our YouTube channel, we're on, our, we're on YouTube. Uh, you know, we're also on Twitter. We're on all the social media. Uh, you know, I mean, we're on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it today. Uh, you know, I mean, any number of different things. Like I said, we have a Facebook group for all the shows. Uh, you know, my personal show that I do is Motivated Strength, the morning show. Uh, which is all about, you know, starting your day in a motivated, positive way uh, so that you can, you know, be who it is that you're meant to be versus who it is that you might feel like or may merely exist to be. And then I also do a good morning check-in on my profile. So if you happen to be friends with me, which I, I certainly encourage you to go ahead and, and friend me on Facebook, um, you know, we do a good morning check-in. It's about, you know, anywhere between 12, 20 minutes, depending on, you know, what's going on, uh, where I kind of fill you in as to how I'm feeling and thinking on that particular day uh, and kind of fill you in on what's going on with the Speaking of the Heart. So, you know, so there's a whole lot of different opportunities in order to be involved with the Speaking of the Heart. Uh, we've got, you know, a blog department. We have a blog committee. Uh, we have a promotions committee. Uh, you know, we're doing a lot of different things. So if you're looking to be part of something that is epic, that is something that is going to make a difference for others, you know, we certainly welcome you to, to take a look at what it is that we're doing and, and see if you can help us out. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much, Brother Shane, the godfather of mental health, ladies and gentlemen, here on the Raw and Unscripted podcast. I want to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart, the depths of my soul. Thank you so much for being here every single week. The podcast premieres live in the Facebook group that Shane was talking about, the Raw and Unscripted Facebook group. The podcast premieres 6 or 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time every Tuesday. I'm there. Shane's there. The other bands of gypsies and misfits are there that support the Kick-Ass Nation. Uh, misfits for Life. Uh, we're there to help you guys, to guide you guys, to be a resource for you guys, but you have to reach out. You have to take responsibility. You have to look in the mirror. And this is one thing I want to leave you with. This is something that has really, really been pushing me in so many ways, aside from the five second rule, which I've shared with you before, the five, four, three, two, one, just do it. I did it yesterday. It was great. I was like, I was procrastinating on something. I was just like five, four, three, two, one. I did it. It took me 10 minutes. I didn't want to do it, but I did it. And when I was done, I was happy that I did it. But the biggest thing I want you guys to really realize, and I want you to put this everywhere you go, is a simple question. Is this, whatever it is, getting me closer to or further from my stated goals? Is this getting me closer to or further from my stated goals? You put that in your car. You put that on your bathroom mirror. You put that on your desk. You put that on your computer. You put that on your phone. Whatever it is, if you want to lose weight and you're about to take a bite of a cheeseburger, is this getting me closer to or further from my stated goals? Yes or no? You say, no, put the fucking thing down decisions, people, decisions. If you want different outcomes, you have to make different choices. You have to take different actions. That's what this is about. I know that I'm not for everybody. I know that raw and unscripted kind of rubs people the wrong way. But here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, 
like I said before about pain versus pleasure. If I don't get you to feel pain, if I don't get you pissed off and start thinking about the shit that you're going through, if I don't create that leverage for you, whether you agree with it or not, at least I've created an emotion. I've created energy and passion in your life. So if I'm telling you that something is possible and you're like, no, it isn't, then prove me wrong. But just do something. Take action. Take responsibility because like I said in episode number four, if you haven't listened to it, your eulogy, your legacy, that's what we are building today, ladies and gentlemen. We are building a legacy. We are building a memory of how we're going to be thought of when we're gone. And that's up to you to take responsibility for that today. And that's what we do here every single week on the Raw and Unscripted Podcast. I want to thank you, Brother Shane, so much for pursuing me, for convincing me to have me on there. For uh, I'm honored to be on your podcast network. And I look forward to all the future episodes that we do and all the impacts that you guys out there in radio land and video land are taking action on because we have so much more to do. Both Shane and myself are just getting fired up. We're taking you guys along for the ride. You guys got to take the action, take the responsibility, share the message, get this out there. Ladies and gentlemen, we need a movement. We need positive energy and momentum in the world. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I love you guys. Go have a rocking kick-ass week. Peace out. Boom.